It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it, because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants Mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. You could also tune in on various podcast platforms. I'm Lance Meadow. He's Paul Dettino with you for the next 60 minutes. Multiple ways you'd interact with us here on the program. 201-939-4513. That is the telephone number. You can also use hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter and directly interact with us at Lance Meadow. One word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Giants W-F-A-N. A lot to get into over these next 60 minutes. We'll go over some of the latest Giants potential transactions. We'll get you set for the final scrimmage as the Giants inch closer to finalizing that 53-man roster. Remember, cutdown day is Saturday, and then a week from next Monday is going to be the week one opener between the Giants and the Steelers at MetLife Stadium. So a lot to look forward to. Paul, how's everything on your end today? Well, I'll tell you something, Lance. It's kind of weird in that, you know, yesterday was the uh, first full padded practice scrimmage of the week. They're going to do another one today. And then on Thursday, it's going to be that situational scrimmage at MetLife Stadium that coaches talked about as they're trying to get into the semblance of what their regular season work schedule is going to be. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm still trying to get adapted to this whole thing. It's, it's just still too weird for me to think that in two weeks the Giants and Steelers are going to open up on Monday Night Football. Well, even taking it a step further, how about the fact that the Chiefs and the Texans are going to be playing a few days earlier on Thursday? And that's right around the corner. It's amazing how we're going to kick off things so quickly. But here's the thing that relates this back to the Giants and what you're talking about. While it seems to be overwhelming as you broke it down and describe it, the bottom line is, Paul, everybody's on the same level. It's not as if one team had 17 additional practices. We certainly can say that certain teams are in an advantage because of the continuity of the coaching staff and the bulk of the roster, but everybody's on the same level in terms of trying to navigate the preseason without preseason games and navigate training camp with limitations on padded practices. So from that standpoint, everybody pretty much is going through uncharted territory together. Well, you know what it is, Lance? I'm just so used to seeing those preseason games. I've told you a million times, I love preseason. I'm probably the president of the preseason fan club. (laughs) And the fact that we don't have any preseason games it, it makes me feel like, you know, the season isn't here because my, my mind and my body is saying we have to go through preseason games or we can't start the season. So I'm, I'm just so discombobulated by all of this. I can't believe that the cuts are going to be made on Saturday down to 53, and I haven't seen any of these rookies or any of these newcomers actually play a real game in a Giants uniform. It, it, I can't even imagine what the coaches are going through trying to figure out what their cut list is going to be. Well, that's exactly what Joe Judge actually talked about yesterday when he spoke to the media, and we're going to hear from Joe Judge shortly as we move forward here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. But, Paul, I want to start with some news, and it's important that we emphasize this is not official because it's pending, clearly, COVID-19 testing as well as the normal protocols in terms of passing a physical. But at this stage, the Giants did announce they've agreed to terms with two-time Super Bowl champion, cornerback and safety, also a New Jersey native who attended Rutgers, Logan Ryan. And once again, this is all contingent upon him clearing COVID-19 protocols as well as passing a physical. But we knew about Xavier McKinney's injury. And we knew about the fact that he would be sidelined indefinitely at this point. No timetable for his return. And the issues with respect to the cornerback position with Sam Beal opting out and DeAndre Baker on the commissioner's exemplist that the Giants certainly could use additional options in the secondary. And here's a player that has connections to Patrick Graham as well as Joe Judge being in New England. And also, Paul, most important, has the versatility to be moved around at both safety as well as corner. Well, you see, this is one of the reasons why, Lance, I'm not a big fan of the analytics people because one analytics service said that Logan Ryan played 67% of his snaps in the slot last year in addition to playing some free safety and some boundary corner and some uh, in-the-box safety. So 
another service said it was 57%. So one said 57, one said 67. It's pretty hard to, to, to screw that up, isn't it? Don't, <laughs> don't you watch the play and know where the guy lined up? So I don't know what to believe, which is, again, why I think these analytics services are really quite, quite messed up, uh, to use a phrase. So here's what I will say. We do know that he played more than half of his snaps last year. How about that? How about we take the safe route? That's fair. And say he played more than half of his snaps last year as a slot corner. But a guy who's had experience playing both safety spots, he's played the slot corner, he's played the boundary corner. And by the way, over his career with the Patriots and the Titans, he has also played both sides, left and right side. So... To say that he is versatile is an understatement, and that's good because not only does he know Joe Judge from his days with the Patriots, and obviously he knows Patrick Graham from those days as well, this is a guy who is going to probably be able to be used at wherever they need him. And I think need is going to be the key word here. On a particular week, he may be one of those guys, much like we thought about McKinney, where he may simply move around to the spot where they need him on a particular week. Yeah, it'll be based on matchups. It goes into the whole concept of Patrick Graham's defense being multiple. So to your point, if this week they go up against a team where they feel he's better off in the slot, they'll put him in the slot. If there's a week where they need to put him back as a center fielder, they'll put him as a center fielder. I know you said the numbers fluctuate, but just to give our audience an idea, at least in terms of one outlet, pro football focus, his breakdown for 2019 with Tennessee was the following. And I'm not going to give you a percentage. I'm just going to give you the snap count. 855 snaps at slot corner. That includes the playoffs. 243 at wide corner, outside, 180 in the box, 22 at free safety. The point is he moved around. And that's important because it ties once again into your point, Paul. The fact that he's comfortable moving in and out to various spots. He's a veteran. I think what's also appealing about him is he's been with a variety of defensive coordinators who a lot of them obviously have ties to New England. He was with Bill Belichick. But he was also with Dean Pease, Paul, the last two seasons with Tennessee. Where did Dean Pease come from? Dean Pease was the former defensive coordinator of the Patriots. So my point is, even though Patrick Graham's going to obviously run his own system and is going to have his own bells and whistles, we'd be naive to say these individuals weren't all influenced by Bill Belichick or the people they worked under. So I think that's going to help in terms of the familiarity and also Graham being around Logan Ryan when he was in New England from 13 through 15 First, Graham was the defensive line coach. Then he was the linebackers coach for the last two seasons before, of course, he came to the Giants. So even though he wasn't Logan Ryan's positional coach, he clearly is familiar with him as a player, and he knows his strengths and his weaknesses. And like I said, Ryan spent the last two seasons in a Dean P system, which has ties and branches to the New England system. So when you put all of those factors together, this is not going to be an overwhelming transition, I think, for Logan Ryan as we start to look at the calendar and say, well, wait a minute. Week one's around the corner. Could they realistically utilize him in week one? Well, if they're going to adapt the system to the strength of the players, I don't think that's a task that is going to be too much for Logan Ryan to take on. Well, I think you left one of the branches off the tree, and that's Titans coach Mike Vrabel, who, of course, was sure. a Patriots guy as well. So if you look at this, Logan Ryan has really never left the Patriots. He went from New England to Tennessee with two Patriots compadres, and now uh, apparently coming to the Giants where he has two Compatriots compadres. Uh, he's just trying to find a way to stay with the Patriots even though he doesn't have their helmet on. <laughs> That's all it comes down to. But I will say this. Clearly, his best skill is his athleticism and his flexibility, and he's also an incredibly smart player. He's very, very good at positioning and anticipation and making plays, a guy who, you know, you don't want to just say, look, just do this, because his instincts will take over, and he will wind up playing above the X's and the O's because he is what is known as a playmaker. I think he's got, what, 17 career picks in his seven seasons in the NFL? And he's only missed three games over the course of his NFL career. So let's not forget, Lance, he's also incredibly durable. No, that's a great point. And I want to take your point about the numbers a step further. This is a guy that fills up the stat sheet. Interestingly, last season, he set career highs in 
passes defense. He had 18 of them. He also set career highs in tackles. Here's the thing. He had 113 combined, but what's even more impressive, Paul, 73 of those tackles were solo. Then he also chipped in with four tackles for loss, eight quarterback hits, as well as four and a half sacks. All of those numbers that I just mentioned were all career highs across the board in his seventh season in the NFL. And it's not so much a guy that is opportunistic that has the interceptions, but it's about somebody, as you tapped into, that can anticipate the play, can also get his hands in place without committing penalties. And 18 passes defense, that's a number that jumps out to me. And also, Paul, if you're going to play safety and corner, you have to be a good tackler. You have to be able to make stops in the open field. And if they're going to ask you to come down at the line of scrimmage, you have to be able to assist in either pressure packages or the ability to stop the run. And when you look at the numbers, and I understand the numbers don't always tell the whole story, but it's hard to ignore the fact that he contributed across the board in Tennessee, specifically last season. And also, not to say that it's identical to what's happening with the Giants, but If you monitored Tennessee last year, they were plagued by injuries in the secondary. They needed Logan Ryan to assume multiple roles. And now you look at the Giants situation here before we start week one. Well, Giants are dealing with some injuries, dealing with some off-the-field issues that have impacted the makeup of the roster. Well, that's where a guy like Logan Ryan has made a name for himself in previous stints. So you're asking him to now step into somewhat of a similar circumstance. Well, I think to be fair, to look at the positives and negatives, we've already talked about all of the positives. And clearly, he's going to have a a lot to learn when he gets here, although not nearly as much as a new guy would because of his familiarity with the players and and the people that we're talking about in this particular setup. However, the negatives are, I think, you know, he does not have blazing speed. So for those people who say, well, just stick him out on the boundary and just leave him there, the one thing you got to be careful of is that there will be certain speedsters in matchup situations where he's going to be at a disadvantage. He is not your typical 4-4, you know, or, or even sub-4-4 corner that you can just put out there on an island and say cover somebody man-to-man. He's not your typical press corner. He is certainly more of a, of a zone corner, if you will, or if he's going to play slot, well, now he can use a lot of his intelligence and he can use a lot of his quick hip turn and footwork to deal with a slot guy. Different skill set when you're on the boundary. And his skill set actually fits better to a slot guy or a free safety, which I think when you talk about what the numbers showed last year, it's that he was the most productive as an entire NFL career when he played most of his position, or most of his snaps at the free safety spot. Or I mean or at the slot spot. I don't think that's a coincidence, Lance. Because, again, the speed is, is not exactly what you'd want on the boundary. The other thing is, I believe an AFC scout told me that they had him down for double-digit missed tackles last year. So maybe last year was an aberration. Maybe not the surest of tacklers all the time. But, again, a guy who is a winner, a guy who's got tremendous amount of experience and maturity. And from what I understand, he's also a great clubhouse leader. Uh, Everywhere he's gone, whether it was New England or Tennessee, the reputation that he has is that he's one of those guys who wants to help lead the wagon. And if you're the Giants with all the young guys that you have, especially in that secondary, it's going to be very fruitful for you to have a big brother who, by the way, has some jewelry to show those guys. Doesn't hurt that he has those two Super Bowl titles. Doesn't hurt that also he's the guy that picked off Tom Brady and ran it into the end zone, if you remember, on Tom Brady's final throw with New England to seal their early round victory over the Patriots as Tennessee advanced all the way to the AFC Championship game last year, losing to the Kansas City Chiefs. But your point about veteran leadership is well taken. The fact that you now have he and James Bradbury in the secondary group with Jabril Peppers, so you got a little bit more experience than you had previously, and I think it's going to be beneficial for the Corey Ballantines of the world, the Darnay Holmes of the world. Also, interestingly, Paul, you now have two players in the secondary that have experience both at corner and safety as sort of interchangeable parts. That's now Julian Love and Logan Ryan. 
So if they feel that sometimes they want to have Love at corner in the slot, they can explore that. If they figure that this matchup, it's better to have Love at safety and Ryan at slot, they could do that. I think it always helps when you at least have on paper individuals that have been moved around, whether it be on the collegiate level or the professional level, and you're not sort of throwing them into a baptism by fire scenario. And once again, if the key operating phrase is multiple, well, now Patrick Graham says to himself, if I don't have McKinney, for an indefinite period of time. And McKinney was also, you figure, based on how he was utilized at Alabama, somebody that they envisioned you can move around and you can try to explore based on matchups. Okay, well, Logan Ryan's not McKinney. We're not trying to sell him as McKinney. Don't misinterpret the words. But now you figure the tag team of Love and Ryan, between the two of them, Paul, you can maybe slowly and make up for what you're losing from McKinney in the early stages of the season. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that. It's got to be part of this equation. And I think that, you know, we talk about Logan Ryan uh, over the course of the offseason, and we see how that dynamic has changed. Because when he was first a free agent, the talk was all about how, well, he's going to want some very substantial numbers. And then after that, the talk was, well, his agency has basically put out there that he doesn't want to play corner anymore, that he believes and he thinks of himself as one of the premier safeties in the league. Remember, in the past, he has been quoted as talking about how much he admires guys like Charles Woodson, who were all pro corners and then became all pro safeties in the National Football League. He has been very vocal in the past about how he truly believes that his skill set at one time or another in this league is going to be better suited to safety. That's that's on the record. He has been many times said that. So there was a very strong feeling around the league that this is a guy who wants certain numbers and is basically locked in mentally to playing a certain position. Well, then all of a sudden things started to change because within the last couple of days, he apparently fired his agency and signed up with a different agent. And then if you were to believe some of the numbers that have been reported Uh, They are much less than the numbers that were talked about when he first entered free agency. So what we see here is maybe a, a different stance by his camp in terms of his willingness to play other positions and, of course, the economic factors that everybody had assumed that were in place. And with those two facets changed, it made him a lot more palatable to a team like the Giants to then jump into the fray and see if they could bring him in. Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino with you here on Giants.com. Big Blue Kickoff Live. You can also tune in on the mobile app. We are going over some of the latest news and notes surrounding the team, and that is the fact that, according to multiple reports, the Giants have agreed to terms with Logan Ryan, corner safety, entering his eighth season in the NFL. But once again, this is all contingent upon him clearing COVID-19 protocols as well as passing a physical. We're also recapping some of the media sessions that took place yesterday as the Giants are preparing for practice later today. And Nick Gates and Wayne Goldman were the two players that spoke to the media as well as Joe Judge. So let's recap what transpired yesterday. And as we move towards the competition for the 53-man roster, the center position comes to the forefront, Paul. And when Nick Gates spoke to the media, as he knows he's still battling Spencer Pulley, and we know when Joe Judge addressed the media a few days ago, he made it clear this battle is even. It's neck and neck. There's nobody that has a significant edge. Well, when Nick Gates did speak with reporters yesterday, he was asked, What is the biggest challenge of moving to center? This was his response. We're not going to hear from him, Lance, because uh, John's laptop just locked me out. Okay, well, that's fair enough. Well, we could say Nick Gates is a man of very few words, at least on our program. That doesn't mean that we can't tell you what Nick Gates had to say as we move along here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. And what Nick Gates had mentioned is that he said the biggest challenge for him is the fact that mentally – I don't want to say stress. Maybe that's too strong of a word. But there is a lot more on your plate when you are a center because you are in charge of setting the tone for the entire line, 
setting the protection. So he said that in his mind is the biggest adjustment where you really have to be on top of things. The focus a little bit different than perhaps when you're playing guard or tackle. But, you know, other than that, he said the fact that he's getting a lot of reps with the various quarterbacks is helping him work on the snap count and getting more and more comfortable as he moves to the interior of the offensive line. But I can understand, Paul, where he's coming from in terms of, yes, there is something that is a little bit different about when you are now manning the center position and everybody else is looking at you to set the tone for what's going to transpire on the play where it's a little bit different when you're playing tackle or guard. So the dynamics are changing, at least in the mind of Nick Gates right now. Well, that's true, but I think the other thing that he added, which is really very, very significant, is that he's not even thinking about the physicality and the different things he has to do mechanically as a center. He's more concerned with just making sure he's got the calls right, and the mechanics seem to come naturally to him. Because, Lance, we've seen enough of him over his first couple of years with the Giants to know that he's big enough, he's strong enough, he certainly is physical enough in terms of his attitude and the kind of emotion that he plays on the field. That's not going to be an issue. And he said, you know, he's thinking so much about what he's got to do with the line calls and making sure that everybody gets that, that he doesn't even think about snapping the ball. He's just making the snaps. And, you know, that's good because what do they say? Overanalysis is paralysis. You don't want Nick Gates thinking too much because if he hesitates at center, the entire line's going to be thrown off, off key. So I want him to be very instinctive physically. And if it means that he just has to concentrate more on the mental part of the game, God bless him. Look, right now, I would say Spencer Pulley did return to practice yesterday, okay? But prior to that, he had missed a handful of practices. Uh, and the truth is, Nick Gates has made a very strong challenge. And I would have to say right now, I suspect he's probably nosed ahead in the lead to be the starting center. I did not necessarily know that that was going to happen. I thought that Spencer Pulley's experience would give him a strong inside track. And if anybody was going to wrestle the job away from him, it would have to be at some point during the season. But Nick Gates has made the most of his opportunity. And like a bat out of hell, he has shot himself, I believe, right to the top of the depth chart. Pulley also didn't take part in the scrimmage on Friday last week, too, as he was sidelined in as well as missing a few practices surrounding that. So, yeah, Nick Gates has taken full advantage of his opportunities. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But, you know, we'll see whether or not with Pulley now returning, and especially if he takes part in that Thursday situational scrimmage, if he'll indeed, you know, try to go more closer neck and neck with Nick Gates. I don't think you can dismiss the experience, but I think it's good one way or another, whoever wins this battle. As I've said multiple times, Paul, all it does is it strengthens the depth chart for the Giants because if Gates wins, okay, well, the guy behind him is an experienced veteran who has starting experience with the Chargers and also has been with the Giants. If Pulley wins and Nick Gates is that swing type of guy, well, now you have somebody that has exposure to all five positions, has gotten even more reps at center, more so than previous off seasons, and that you feel comfortable enough that you can basically slide him in in the event that somebody goes down. You don't have to be concerned because you have that versatility already on the roster. So to me, it's a win-win whoever winds up winning the battle because option B only strengthens your team. I don't think you're hurt by whoever winds up becoming the backup as opposed to the starter. Well, I think the other thing is the Giants uh, have made no bones about this because we, we've seen them out of practice, and it was even discussed with Gates yesterday that uh, Tyler Haycraft out of Louisville, an undrafted rookie free agent, has gotten quite a bit of, of opportunities with Pulley being sidelined for several days last week. Uh, Haycraft, who was a tackle, by the way, with the Cardinal, uh, is is now having an opportunity to, uh, to to work out at center. And my understanding was that much like Shane Lemieux from Oregon, who had practiced a lot at center last year, apparently Haycraft had also had eyes on potentially being a center when he got to the NFL. So he has had a mentality of that's going to be maybe a good position for me because I'm not going to make it as a tackle in the league. And consequently, what I have now understood through the research that I've done is that Haycraft was gung-ho the entire offseason on trying to become a center. 
And so we were all on the misdirection of looking at Lemieux when really Haycraft is the guy we should have been thinking of as the potential converted center into this competition. And we've now seen over the course of the last few days that he and Gates are the guys taking the snaps because Pulley has been, has been unavailable. And again, that's not divulging any secrets. Gates talked about Haycraft yesterday. Haycraft also had that great block for Saquon Barkley in the scrimmage where Barkley got out into open space. And it was funny because when Barkley was talking to the media, he was breaking down that play and said, Haycraft was the one that went to Barkley and said, hey, heck of a job setting up the block on that. Whereas Barkley said it was really all due to the hard work that Haycraft had put forth on that play. So you're already seeing some of the veterans on the team respect the transition that he's making. But Competition is good. No matter how you look at it, the fact that you now have three guys that are getting work at center, three guys that are working through and navigating the adjustment period, once again, only then makes it more difficult for the coaching staff to determine who they want to see make the 53-man roster. And if some of these guys ultimately don't make the 53-man roster, then hopefully you can bring it back on the practice squad and it gives you more flexibility and leeway in case you need to call some of them up. And remember, you have the flexibility to call up two guys from the practice squad each week to make it a 55-man roster, and then you could dress 48. So all of those factors in play go back to your main point, which we started off the program with. Paul, and I want to get a little bit more into that in terms of the challenges that the staff has right now in looking at the clock ticking down and saying, well, you know, how do we get a better read on which 53 guys we feel can make the roster? And one of the things that Joe Judge talked about was he's trying to mimic this week as close to a regular week as possible so that when they ultimately start up on Labor Day on Monday, it's not going to be a rude awakening for some of these new guys. So he's trying to structure practice. He's trying to tell them, hey, this is when I want you to go to the weight room. This is when we're going to eat so that they don't all of a sudden have to flip an immediate switch on Monday. It'll be a smooth transition into their week in preparation for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, and, and flight out, he said also that during the course of, uh, of the scrimmage this week, he plans on showing them some different looks not not Giants looks, so to speak, because as you know, Lance, during most of training camp to this point, the Giants have been busy trying to work on their own plays. You know, the offense is looking at Jason Garrett's offensive scheme and trying to do what it is that they do. And Patrick Graham on the defensive side is showing his guys the kinds of stuff that he wants them to do. And that's great. But that's that's like cleaning up your own house, cleaning up your own backyard. Joe Judge said, listen. One of the things we have to do during the scrimmage is we're going to have to expose our guys to other schemes and other plays because we're going to play the Pittsburgh Steelers in two weeks on Monday Night Football, and they're going to unleash stuff against our guys that they need to be prepared for. So like on the situational scrimmage on Thursday, we may show some potential Steelers plays to the guys during the course of that, of that scrimmage because they need the exposure to stuff that is outside the Giants' world that we live in right now. And that makes perfect sense, because once you get to the following week, you're actually in game day preparation for Pittsburgh. So why not get a head jump on it now in the situational scrimmage by showing these guys some of the stuff that they're probably going to wind up seeing come Monday morning? Yeah, I agree with you. He even talked about holding up cards for the defense so that they can present the Giants offense with looks that Pittsburgh has and vice versa, where Patrick Graham needs Jason Garrett's unit to showcase some of what Ben Roethlisberger and company are running. You want to at least expose some of these young players to looks that they may wind up seeing a week from next Monday night. So I think, you know, that's the balance and that's the fine line that you walk during the course of the end of training camp up against the start of the regular season without a preseason game where you may be going up against an opponent that you're unfamiliar with. Because, you know, as you well know, Paul, usually week three of the preseason, which is the dress rehearsal, the tune-up game where your starters play the most, you're doing a little game planning that week. It's not overwhelming, but you're trying to treat it as close to a regular season game as possible where the defensive coordinator, the offensive coordinator is saying, okay, this is what we're going to run. This may be our opening drive. Well, 
with no preseason games, you didn't really have opportunities to do that. It's all been practice, practice, practice. Let's try to evaluate these guys in our own setting. Let's try to foster some competition and give our coaching staff an opportunity to get a read on what guys can do as close to full speed as possible. So that's what Joe Judge is trying to now duplicate. He's trying to make up for the fact that we didn't have the third week of the preseason. There was no game planning. There was no scheming. How do I interject that into the final week of camp where we're trying to build things up towards the regular season, but at the same time also try to see how our own players can handle maybe having to implement things that they are not used to on a daily basis. So that, I think, is the biggest challenge right now for most coaching staffs, specifically coaching staffs that are new and are trying to, of course, adapt to the new schemes that they're implementing along the way. You know, when you think about it, Lance, Giants are going to have to get down from uh, 81. Remember, they've got Plutzkummer, yep. the, uh, the uh, Austrian uh, NFL international running back on their roster. So they have 81, not 80. But nonetheless, like every other team in the league, unless uh, some of them had 90 for, for a couple of weeks and then they got down to 80. But the Giants started out with 80. They opted to start out with the 80, really 81. And they've been working with the same group of guys now for approximately a month, unlike some other teams which were allowed, you know, if you wanted to, you could have gone with 90 for two weeks. I don't know how many teams did that. I'm remiss in not having that, but I know there was, certainly was an option to do that. In my opinion, at this point, I actually think Judge made the right call because I don't know how you possibly could have gotten a good enough look at 90 guys through the first two weeks then trimmed 10, and then done a proper justice or a proper service to the remaining 80 guys who are on your roster up until this weekend's cutdown. I think Joe Judge did a very studious thing by saying right from the get-go, we're going to go to 80 and give all 80 of these guys as much of an equal chance as we can for the one month that we have them. And let's just see what we can see. Because, let's face it, this is going to be the bulk of our roster. You may have a few tweaks over the next week or so, but these are going to be our guys. And I think that was a very good move in retrospect because I will tell you, at the beginning of this whole thing, I was thinking that it might have been better to go to the 90. And so why not have more guys in camp, more guys to look at? I'm not so sure now. I think, I think Judge knew what he was doing. Well, I'll take it a step further. Also, think about this. If you could keep 53 men on the roster and then 16 on the practice squad, when you do the math, okay, that's 69. So even with 80 guys, you're not going to be able to keep all 80. Meaning in an ideal world, Paul, if everybody passes through waivers of the 80 that you're not able to retain as part of the 53, you can't bring back all of those guys because you don't have enough spots on your practice squad. So that's more of a reason why even if you brought in 90, yeah, you'd have more options and choices, but now you could focus more on the 80 and then you could really get in your minds who you want back on the practice squad. So I think the smaller the number is more realistic because, A, to your point, it gave everybody at least somewhat of an equal footing in terms of the reps, but it also narrowed down realistically, okay, of the guys right here in camp with us, who do we want to bring back to the practice squad? You had 10 more bodies. Yes, it would have provided more competition. You would have had more of a challenge to divvy up the reps. And in all likelihood, those 10 guys would not have a very realistic shot to make your practice squad anyway. So I think from that standpoint, just the basic mathematics, it makes a lot of sense. As far as your question is, I don't believe a lot of teams went the route of having 90 for the first two weeks. I think basically it was a trend across the NFL where most teams said, hey, What's the point to keeping these 10 guys in camp for two weeks when they're going to take reps away from other guys that we truly need to evaluate? Let's just get down to the 80 right away. But the NFL did give you the option. I just think most coaching staffs operated under the same premise as Joe Judge when it was all said and done. Well, again, I, I see the wisdom of that decision now. I wasn't so sure that I thought about that when this whole thing started. So, you know, thumbs up to him. Absolutely. 201-939-4513. That is the telephone number. Also, you can use hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. You can directly interact with the two of us. At Lance Meadow, one word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Giants W-F-A-N. As we are talking about the rumors and reports that Logan Ryan has agreed to a deal with the Giants that, of course, is still contingent upon him clearing COVID-19 protocols and passing a physical. Also recapping some of the media sessions from yesterday. We went over what Joe Judge had to say, what Nick Gates had to say. We'll also tell you 
what Wayne Goleman had to say as the depth chart of the running back position continuing to play out in the final days of training camp. In the meantime, let's open up the phone lines, and Charlie joins us in Portland, Maine. What's happening, Charlie? Hey, Paul. Hey, Lance. Hey, uh, if, uh, hey uh, Logan Ryan is a good signing if everything goes well with the COVID and all that. I think it's great. If you're not going to have a dominant pass rusher, you definitely need a strong back end, and uh, he's definitely going to help. And I also uh, saw reports that Helipio came in on, I think it was Monday, and worked out for the Giants. So, Paul, don't be surprised if um, Mr. Pulley is one of the guys that gets cut. If they can get a cheap deal on Helipio and then you've got Gates, and uh, Helipio can be the backup or uh, Tyler, uh, you might see Pulley because uh, they can save about $3 million on the cap if they cut him or around there. So don't be surprised if that happens. I know you're not going to like it, but it could. And one other thing, there, there's still there's some negotiations going on with Prince right now that uh, the Giants haven't stopped, that they might end up uh, signing Prince, and then he would be our other boundary guy. Who's a, he's a bump-and-run guy. He is 31, but he would add a vet, veteran presence, and he says he would like to come back to the Giants. So um, I think it would be great if we do that because then we'll have a strong back end and our pass rush, I don't know where it's coming from, but Carter looks good. If that continues, then we got a strong back end. I think we'll, our defense will be pretty good. Well, Prince of Bucamaro, who you're referring to, was let go from the Raiders at this point. So he's a free agent, and he's free to negotiate and talk with as many teams as humanly possible. I mean, I, beyond that, it's purely speculation at this point. But the fact that Logan Ryan can play both positions, I agree. I mean, it gives them some flexibility. It certainly strengthens the experience of the secondary. And you want to have guys that you can move around, especially when you're going up against a lot of strong quarterbacks this season. And also, you're going up against a lot of good defenses, Paul, in the early stages of the season that we talked about. So, you know, if you want your offense to have some pressure taken off of it, then you need your defense to meet them halfway. And the way you go about doing that is bringing some veteran experience in that can also navigate an NFL offseason without much training camp and practice. That's the big aspect of this. See, Logan Ryan, he's been through the 2000 season and then some because he was there at 13, 14, 15. I mean, we're talking about numerous training camps that Logan Ryan's been through. Some of these other young guys, Paul, they're just getting out of college. They have not experienced a full normal training camp. Logan Ryan's done that. So when you have players that can adapt and adjust quicker, I think that helps your overall team in the long run. Well, look, let's not kid ourselves. We've talked about the Ryan connection to the Patriots guys now for, for several minutes during the course of this show. Uh, for example, if you wanted to sign somebody else and bring in another guy, well, there are things you have to think about. Number one, does the veteran have any clue or connection to your system? Because he's not going to have a lot of time to learn it. Number two, what kind of shape and conditioning is he in? Because we know even with guys who are currently on a team and they hold out, we, we've seen this over, over the course of many years now, guys will hold out because they don't want to participate in training camp. And then all of a sudden they come in right before the final cutdown and they wind up getting hurt in the first couple of games of the season. So don't ignore the fact that, you know, anybody who you bring in now from the street or from the outside, there is going to be some trepidation about the risk of, sure. A, them getting hurt in a hurry, and then what good are they? Because now they're sidelined and they're taking up a roster spot and some salary cap. And what have you done to yourselves except, you know, handicap your situation? And then, B, you also have to understand that, if they're not familiar with your system, there is going to be an acclimation period before you can actually start counting on them to give you meaningful reps. Well, and that's why I think there was an appeal with a guy like Ryan because of the connections we're talking about. So the adjustment period is going to be smaller than perhaps a player that had never been with Patrick Graham, New England, Joe Judge, and so forth. So I think that was a big part of the rationale and the thinking. And Charlie, appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much for uh, chiming in on the conversation here. That's always something that you have to keep in the back of your mind when you're going to add a player this late in the game. And remember, we're going to see a lot of players be added through the waiver process, Paul. And I go back to a few years ago when the Giants made, what, about six or seven claims, if you remember, after the initial 53-man roster. Spencer Pulley was actually one of those guys, and he came in, 
And it took him a few weeks till he adjusted to the scheme. And then all of a sudden, they brought him into the mix. Remember, when Jalapeo went down, it was John Greco that slid into center first. It was not Spencer Pulley. And part of that was he had just arrived. He was just getting used to the offensive system. Logan Ryan, a little bit different because I think the concepts that Patrick Graham is running, since they have branches to New England, Ryan's not going to have to all of a sudden take maybe a few more weeks to play catch-up. So that's why I think there's also an appeal this late in the game when you add a free agent who has a connection to the coaching staff or at least a connection to the scheme makes the transition that much more smoother. Well, the other part of the dynamic, though, on the negative side, Lance, is that, again, Logan Ryan has not participated in a training camp or any preseason games. In the past, when the Giants added that slew of bodies right before opening day, Those guys had gone through a real training camp. They had played preseason games. They had been hit. They had been contacted. They had been tackled. They had tackled other guys. You know, so when they did that, there was really no downside because these guys were already acclimated physically, at least, into the game of football. Logan Ryan, if in fact everything goes through and he winds up signing with the Giants, I sincerely hope, I believe he's, what, 28 years old? Maybe 29. I sincerely hope. 29. I sincerely hope that, you know, he has his conditioning is up to speed because they're going to need him to play right away. And, and he's going to play a lot of snaps right away. I'm pretty sure about that. So I just hope that he is in proper football condition. And maybe after the years that he's had in this league, he knows a little bit more about getting himself close to 100%, even if he's not going to be there when he steps on the field. Let's head back to the phone lines at 201-939-4513. Bob is in New Jersey joining us on Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Bob? Hey, (laughs) I was surprised to find you guys being at 11 o'clock. I missed yesterday. (laughs) Moving things around a bit because of the schedule. Uh, You guys are both scatbacks, probably. Uh, Hey, uh, I was wondering... How did uh, Connolly do uh, yesterday's practice after the scrimmage? Was he in good shape? Connolly's moving around well. You know, he did have to take several days off uh, earlier last week uh, for maintenance. You know, obviously coming off a serious knee surgery last year. The Giants are being very careful with him. Again, the magic word is is now maintenance or manage. Those are the two magic words, the the two Mm M&M words that coaches use when they give guys some light work during the week instead of practicing them because they are coming back from a significant injury. So Connolly is in that boat. Uh, Evan Ingram, by the way, you know, did not play in the scrimmage. That's no secret. Yeah. And Coach Judge yeah. said it's simple. He's been working incredibly hard. He's doing great. We love what we see. There was no reason to push him and then make him play in the scrimmage. So. You know, you just that's the way it is. I, I just talked to Mark Bavaro uh, for the Giants Huddle podcast that's going to be coming up this week, and he was saying okay. to me how Bill Parcells had to manage him. And I said, look, Mark, I remember what it was. In the 1990 season, you barely practiced. And then you that's played right. on Sunday, and the Giants did that because they knew he had only a limited amount of reps left in his, in his surgically uh, banged-up knee that they didn't want to waste them at practice. They wanted them on game day. And, and Mark was like, yeah, and you remember how Parcells was, was totally against guys who didn't practice being available on Sunday. But he made an exception because Bavaro was who he was, how important he was to the team, and he proved that he could play on Sundays. And I, I almost felt like laughing, saying, Mark, that happens a lot nowadays, okay? That's yeah. just another way that old school has been flushed down the toilet. Well, there was no GPS yeah. reader when Mark Bavaro played. Now there's GPS tracking attached to every player. Yeah, I, so think, the, I think in those days yeah. they were going by the sundial lens. Yeah, the technology has well, completely changed the game. Well, I think Ryan might get, uh, get a break on the number of uh, reps because the two, first two teams they play are not big passing teams. Well, Roethlisberger's back now. So, I mean, you really can't go by what Pittsburgh did last season considering he missed the bulk of the year. I I don't know if I would read too much into that. And, you know, we really don't know what some of these offenses are going to look like this year. I'm I'm sure teams are going to change things up compared to last year. Yeah, that's the Bears and the the Niners. Uh, Yeah, you're absolutely right. With Roethlisberger back, uh, you're probably going to see a lot of long passes. 
Well, I think because of his arm, he's looked good so far in training camp. He is coming off the elbow injury. You have to at least note that. But, I mean, the Steelers certainly have the weapons for him to air it out. And then as far as the Niners are concerned, San Francisco is a run-heavy team. But also, you know, they drafted Brandon Ayuk in the first round. And he's a playmaker that could certainly do some damage for them with Debo Samuel, who may return depending on where he is in terms of his recovery from the foot injury. So I wouldn't sleep on those two teams in terms of their ability to pass. Yeah, when he was coming out of college, I I thought that the Giants would uh, draft him. Uh, I'm glad they didn't because uh, I don't know that he could have lasted in New York with with his character. But uh, thank you very much. Yeah, you got it, Bob. Appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much for uh, weighing in here on the conversation as we're talking about the build-up to week number one between the Giants and the Steelers. And Ryan Connolly, as you referenced, Paul, coming off the torn ACL. So he's about a year removed coming up. Remember, he got hurt in September in week four when the Giants were playing Washington. So that's why I said we're slowly coming up to a year. And sometimes, as we've talked about with guys like Marcus Golden and other players who have had a similar injury— It takes two years for them to really get back to where they were prior to the injury. I don't want to speculate about Connolly. I think every player takes a different path, but I don't blame the Giants for saying to themselves, we're not going to overwork him. We're not going to overdo it because the goal is, after his rookie year was limited to just three-plus games because he got hurt in the fourth game, last thing we want to do is have him come back and have an immediate setback. So, you know, this is how most teams are operating right now. There's no point in putting your pressure on a player who is coming back from injury, especially in a camp that is so unique and is unlike anything else we've ever seen. Without a doubt, Lance, I mean, look, the last thing you need now are guys getting hurt when you're trying to get this roster down to 53 on Saturday. So why push a guy? I'm I'm totally in agreement when they say that on certain days you want to back off a guy on practice. By all means, back off on the guy. I mean, why create more problems for yourself? Absolutely. And one of the things also out of the scrimmage was the fact that, knock on wood, no major issues coming out of the scrimmage, which I think is also important because one of the things Joe Judge talked about is you've got to find the way to balance, Paul, gearing this team up for the physicality of the regular season, but also being smart. And the fact that the scrimmage went off without any setbacks from that front I think says a lot about the coaching staff. I also think it says a lot about the players because, you know, defensive players, first time you're out on the field in a game competitive situation, what do you think about? Your instincts are, I want to hit somebody. The problem is the guys on the opposite side of the line are the guys that are supposed to help you win games this season. (laughs) So, right, you got to walk that fine line. You know, there was a play yesterday. They were in full pads, and uh, um, Devontae Downs leveled Platzgummer. Sandro Plotzgummer was just like wide open in the middle of the field, caught himself a nice pass, thought he was probably going to have a nice time sauntering down the rest of the field, and then all of a sudden, Devontae Downs was there, and they hit like a brick wall. And I got news for you. Downs remained standing, and Plotzgummer clumped to the ground like a sack of potatoas. <laughs> it was uh, it was quite a sight to see. I, I'm I'm sure that the the diminutive running back uh, will remember that hit for a very long time, regardless of where it is that he winds up playing. But yeah, I mean that's the kind of thing where, you know, look, I know that Downs wasn't trying to hurt the guy. No question. It's a it was a, it was a thud kind of practice, and this was a thud. But you know, could you imagine if that happened to Saquon Barkley and he comes up hurt? Yeah, I don't think the conversation would be the same way. No, no. <laughs> I mean, as it turned out, Plattsgummer was fine, and it was like a friendly chuckle. It was kind of funny when you watched it. It looked like something out of a silent movie, the way he went down. But if that's one of your star players, and then he doesn't get up, well, now it's not so funny anymore. Which is why... It's important to emphasize that when you do have even intra-squad scrimmages, you still have the ability to say, hey, we were very smart about how we went through our business. And, you know, that was one of the things that jumped out to me after the scrimmage, the fact that, hey, positive was nobody got banged up, nobody was hurt. They kept some guys on the side who they felt they worked enough through practice. But 
you don't want to have any setbacks, especially especially this late in the game when you're about to finalize your 53-man roster. Speaking of the running back position, Wayne Goldman spoke to the media as well yesterday. And, Paul, one of the things that came up a lot with Wayne Goldman was the fact that the way last season ended didn't get a lot of opportunities, a lot of reps, and whether or not that mentally got to him. And the fact that now there's a new coaching staff, did that put a little bit more pep in his step, give him a little bit more motivation? And he did talk about the fact that, you know, he's trying to put last season behind him. He likes how the offensive coaching staff, specifically Jason Garrett, is moving personnel around. And he clearly had two touchdowns in the scrimmage game with a little bit of burst on one of them when he ran in for a 40-plus yard touchdown, also caught another one. And, you know, this is the guy that sort of been lost on the depth chart, it seems. We've talked about Saquon, of course. You know, Deion Lewis came over in free agency. And, you know, people were talking about Javon Leak, who is no longer on the team, did pass through waivers, though. And Wayne Goldman, veteran guy out of Clemson who's been with the team the last few seasons and another player that I think provides some nice balance with Deion Lewis is somebody that could catch the ball in the backfield and also could come in to give Saquon Barkley a breather here and there. Well, Wade Goldman is an interesting case because, as we know, there are a lot of factors why a player kind of gets lost on the depth chart. There can be numerous reasons, and they're not always about the guy's ability. Sometimes they're intangibles. Sometimes it's just about personality. Sometimes it's just because maybe a coach or a number of coaches don't like the guy. There could be so many different reasons for a guy to get buried. Wayne Goldman obviously got buried last year during the final weeks of the season. I mean, there's just no other way around it. Buck Allen basically took his spot on game day. Now, new coaching staff is here, and Wayne Goldman is being given every opportunity to earn a spot on this roster, and he has had a very good training camp. He looks quick. He looks speedy. Looks like his hands are softer, you know, catching balls out of the backfield. And quite honestly, he said that he helped use or tried to use the last month of last season as motivation going into this year to be as good as he could be, to be better, and to make sure that he showed this coaching staff everything that he had to offer. And to this point, I think he's made a strong case. There's no doubt about it. I think that was on full display in the scrimmage as well as what he's been able to do in practice on a daily basis. Let's open up the phone lines once again at 201-939-4513. JT is in Columbus, New Jersey, joining us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, JT? Uh, how you doing, fellas? Um, I got a question for Paul. Um, I know you, you're looking for your, you know, your big skyscraper receivers. And I don't know if any of these guys are big like that, but are any of the receivers that you're looking at, do, they, do any of them have star potential? I'm not looking for superstar, but somebody that's hiding that. Because, you know, Tate's not going to be here that long to pair up with um, Slayton and um, uh, Shepard that can be that, you know, that has star potential that we just don't know about. Star potential is a little tough to determine when you're only looking at practices. We haven't even seen these guys in a preseason game. So to grade a guy as star potential, to me, is quite a reach. What I think I can say, based on training camp practices, is that this entire depth chart of wide receivers in the room all have make it grades. I truly believe that every single one of the receivers on the depth chart today has a legitimate chance and a legitimate claim to say that they have enough to be on an NFL 53-man roster. I feel that strongly about the guys in the room. And I'm talking about, you know, Sills, Mack, Bachman, Dylan, all these guys. They, they, all of them. They're, they're, they're buried on the depth chart here right now. And I think all of these guys can play. And until we see them in a game, at least a preseason game, which we're not going to do, I would be very hesitant to put a ceiling on them uh, or to tell you that, you know, they can be this or that. All I'm going to say now is that I believe they have NFL ability and NFL talent. Where they want to take it from there is really only time will tell. I think actually, JT, the one guy that warrants a part of this conversation is Corey Coleman. Coleman's been plagued by injuries throughout the majority of his career, but he's 26 years old. 
whether he's a superstar, I don't know if I'd go that far, but I think if you're looking for somebody that could come in and be a playmaker, how about that? I'll label him playmaker. I think Corey Coleman fits the bill because we've seen it in games, unlike the other players that Paul was referencing, and we know what he's capable of doing as a former first-round pick. So that's somebody that certainly could carve out a role on this roster for not just this season, but seasons to come, assuming he stays healthy. That would be a guy that I would be focusing on who I think can be a consistent playmaker. At least we know what he's capable of doing against NFL-caliber competition on a more consistent basis. Put it this way, with the, with the expanded right. practice squads and with the kind of talent that these receivers have shown, it would not surprise me if the Giants went heavy on wide receiver on their practice squad. Because these guys, they just, they show too much talent. I would hate to see any of these guys walk out of the building. I really... That, and, that's what I was thinking. You know, and, right, you, and right. you know, you guys all know, I've been saying since April that Austin Mack was my guy. And I still, I'm, I really, really, really like Austin Mack. But that's not to say that these other guys don't have every bit as, as much of a right to say that they belong in the league, too. All right, JT. Appreciate the call, fellas. Thank you. You got it. Appreciate the phone call. And another player that we hadn't mentioned who actually has been in the NFL already is C.J. Board, who they got from the Jaguars. You're absolutely right, Lance. C.J. Board has done a terrific job showing uh, hands, getting open. He returned kicks the other night in the scrimmage. Again, I I can't say this enough. This wide receiving core, there may not be any all pros here. I'm not going to go that far. But I'm going to say that all of these guys have NFL ability, and I I stand by that. These guys, this is a good, good crop. Well, it's also a group that has brought about a lot of competition in camp, too, which is good. You know, these guys are pushing one another, and you have a nice mix because you have some undrafted players, such as Austin Mack and Benjamin Victor. Then you have guys that were on NFL practice squads and David Sills and Alex Bachman. C.J. Board, he's been on practice squads, active rosters. Derek Dillon's another undrafted player. And Corey Coleman, returning from injury, who's a former first-round pick. So my point is, you don't have seven guys on the same level. You have various levels with different variations of NFL experience and college experience. And, you know, they're pushing one another, which is certainly good to get a good mix between the 53-man roster, as well as the practice squad. Let's head back to the phone lines, and we check in with Hal in Maryland. Hal, welcome to the program. What do you got for us? Hey, guys. How you doing? Uh, first of all, a big, big thank you um, for keeping Big Blue Live going all through this craziness we've been going through the last six, seven months. So really appreciate it. You guys do an awesome job, along with Smelk and Fiegel. So thank you for that. Well, thanks uh, for tuning in. We appreciate that. Yep. Um, question on um, getting your thoughts on, uh, I was really disappointed last week when uh, Javon Leakes got cut. I thought he was a type of player that kind of, you know, Paul probably won't like what I'm about to say, but, you know, you know, today's kind of football. Um, you know, he had the speed, the quickness, and it seemed like, like um, from the outside looking at... I, I like Javon uh, okay. I was surprised they cut him. I really was. Yeah, yeah, because what I heard, read, saw that he was having a decent camp. Um, so just wondering your thoughts on why, uh, and, and um, I guess there's a lot of things that we don't see behind uh, the curtain that maybe is why, but uh, your thoughts on maybe why they kind of gave up on him early? Well, first of all, as I mentioned, he passed through waivers, and Joe Judge did not rule out that it's possible they could very well consider him for a practice squad spot. That's number one. Number two, I think what you have to understand, how is, you know, we haven't really seen a lot of these guys in a game action. And, you know, I wrote this out on social media the other day. We've got to really stop treating training camp reports and scrimmages as Super Bowls. It's a very small sample size. We've seen guys, Paul and I can attest to, we've seen guys at training camps, they've had good practices, and then nothing really translates over to the regular season and vice versa. You don't see anything out of them, and all of a sudden they wow you in the regular season if they get opportunities. So just be cautious of you know, reports and whispers here and there of what guys do in random practices. I don't think that necessarily tells the whole story. The other thing that I'll add, Paul, that I think is relevant is it's a numbers game. And we were just talking about Wayne Goleman. Wayne Goleman was the forgotten player last year. So if you look at the running back position, Saquon, Deion Lewis, Wayne Goleman. Maybe they keep four backs. And also you have Eli Penny, 
who was with the team last year, and Vernon Burns certainly has been very fond of, and he could be that fullback. So if you know in your head those are going to be your running backs, I'm just talking hypothetically, and you're injured in the defensive back room because your secondary has some question marks, then it would make sense, how that you're going to wind up maybe sacrificing a player that may have some upside who you may be confident is going to pass through waivers because he could come back to you as opposed to holding on to him just for the sake of the fear that you don't think you're going to get him back. Lance, there is so much strategy involved in making these roster moves. It's not just simple as we're going to take the best 53. There's strategy involved too, like you said. You also have to think about who's nicked up. You have to think about who may pass waivers, who may get claimed. There's a lot of gamesmanship that goes on with these final cuts. I mean, that to me is the best way to describe it, that when you see a player who is cut that you're a little bit surprised of, sometimes it's not a reflection of the player, and it's not the fact that the coaching staff doesn't think the player has potential. It's just they're crunched for numbers. They got 80 guys right now, 81, of course, with the international player, but you know you're up against the clock. You've got to get it down to 53 on Saturday. If you're hurting somewhere else or there was an injury at another position, sometimes you have to make the tough decisions of part ways with a player because you need to get a look at somebody else who could very well give you a legitimate shot to bolster another spot. It's really a numbers crunch. That, I think, is probably more often than not why a number of these moves happen and they may catch people by surprise despite some of the flashes that they showed in camp. So that is going to wrap up Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Thanks so much for everybody for tuning in. We'll be back up and running again on Wednesday, 11 a.m. Eastern. So just make sure you note the time change for this week because of the differential in practice schedule. But we certainly appreciate everybody for joining the conversation. You can always interact with us off the air at Lance Meadow, one word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Giants W-F-A-N. Paul, enjoy the conversation. We'll pick it up tomorrow here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Good to talk to you, Lance. Absolutely. That'll do it for us. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. We're out.